content king. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the truth, Jordan? You're, <laughs> you're gonna decide that, are you? What the fuck is wrong with it? <laughs> you know how they play. Welcome back to the True Geordie Podcast. Today's guest is Mams Taylor, also known as the man behind Misfits. The man behind a lot of things, actually, when you start looking into it. Um, when I started looking into the history of how you became Mr. Misfits, I'm going to call it. Um, there's a lot that went into this journey for you. It's actually quite amazing. Like the first thing that popped up, and I hope you don't mind me bring this up, was it was so ironic, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with it. Yeah. Was the fact that you dropped Jesse Metcalf outside of a fucking LA nightclub. And I'm like, what, what did the gardener from Desperate Housewives ever do to you? <laughs> but yeah, like, let's start with that, bro. Like, that was insane. That went viral. TMZ the lot. Uh, well, this is the thing, right? When you're in that moment and it's fight or flight and you th- you forget, you don't think, oh, look at all this paparazzi here. Uh. And back then, it was a new thing that everyone had camera phones and stuff like that. It was very new. So growing up in, in London, basically you settle your differences like men. Uh-huh. Now you can't do that because it's lawsuit, it's a knife, it's acid being poured and this and that. So it was quite a normal thing. But going to LA in the Hollywood scene, uh, it was more like, let me at him, let me at him. And so uh-huh. everyone was appalled that I threw this punch. They're like, you're disgusting. How can you do it? I'm like, the guy's just calling, calling me out saying, come on, you fucking this and that. Let's uh-huh. go, let's go. That must be the prettiest man you've ever hit, by the way. He is a handsome motherfucker. <laughs> I, di- I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel bad. <laughs> um, he honestly was very arrogant, deserved it. He... See, the TMZ thing, not because it was a malicious edit. You were one of the first memes, by the way. Like, yes. they, they literally yeah. were rolling this at every opportunity and any video that they put out. It was crazy because out of nowhere, TMZ's following me every day. Um, <laughs> hey, Mams, do you want to fight Suge Knight? I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, Mams, this, that. I did reckon myself and I was a bit of a bad boy. And I'm very lucky that I didn't come across as someone... Um, Someone less pretty than Jesse Metcalf in my journey. <laughs> yeah, Shug Knight might have been a, yeah. a second thought. Yeah. And isn't it ironic? Like, you kind of have made a living as well as a lot of things off of celebrity fighting when you were one of the original celebrity fighters in that moment. We were talking about a celebrity boxing match. Everyone, TMZ was saying, let's run it, let's do it. Unreal. Yeah, so it is ironic. But to just put it out there also, he, he really did start it and he was rude and this and that. And they cut what happened previous to that, which I put him in a choke, a rear naked, (laughs) and let him go. And then he goes, it's on, motherfucker, it's on. And then I threw the punch. And then him and four of his mates jumped me in the club, in the gifting suite. So I had my hands, I was holding a mobile phone. I was holding a gifting uh, basket for my girl at the time. And then someone comes and chokes me. And then there's a massive guy and a really small guy. And I'm short, I'm five, seven. (laughs) This guy was like half my height and he was punching me in the balls. It was all so surreal. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. And this other big guy, um, they made out with my shoe, nothing bad happened. And then Jesse and I, uh, made up uh, over time because you're going to run into each other over and over again. And I said, let's let's iron this out. And he goes, bro, no, you know, like let's just let's just call it quits. You fucked my career up. I'm like, I'm sorry, blah blah blah. It was just a Hollywood night that got captured 
on tape. And you were very much in the Hollywood scene. When I was looking at the names of people that you've been working with, there's like Good Charlotte, uh, you did stuff with them. There's a, a music video with Rampage Jackson and Mila Kunis in yeah. it, which is your music video. Then you've got Snoop Dogg, The Game, Lil Kim, T-Pain. That's like a who's who of the hip-hop era. Like of that generation, what was that like? Again, I think it was just, I was riding high. I was a fixture in the club scene. I owned a nightclub. I co-owned a nightclub and a very hip sort of sushi restaurant. And I think my existence at the time was very shallow in terms of, I became very successful at a young age. I get to this place where I'm rubbing elbows with these guys and it was the norm. But um, the reality of it was... I didn't really make solid friendships with any of them. Mm. Not to say they're all bad people. They're not. There's some good, some bad. But it was LA is a hub if you're not careful uh, and you don't know yourself <laughs> enough. LA is a hub where people will literally step over their own grandmother to make it. And it's a clout thing. But clout back then was a different thing. It was pre-social media. You it's, know? It, well, it, it's... London is like that these days. I think most big cities are like mm. that now because more people can be famous, Instagram famous, mm. and social media famous. And the irony is the reason I got into music, to be very, very honest, was because I remember we were hanging out with um, Timberlake. I've known him for a long time mm. and a few other people. And I was like, and I had all this dough and I was in my 20s. I was 25 years old walking around and I was getting respect. And then I saw Timberlake get a different level of respect. And I saw different celebrities and athletes. And I was like, well, fuck this. I want to get that respect. Mm. So... I was good at poetry. So I said, let me rap. I think I could rap. It was not a great idea, but <laughs> <laughs> I literally started getting into music because I wanted to be famous. And the irony of it was, by the time I got any good at understanding music and becoming really passionate about it, I didn't want to be. I was like, that's the worst thing in the world to be famous and to be all of that. So it's kind of a spiritual journey that evolved from getting into something for the wrong reasons and staying with it for the right reasons. You know? Isn't that funny that when you finally honed your skills and then became as an executive producer for KSI and other artists, you're now in the background and you don't want the fame really. No, no. And and you want to be, it's, 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 it's kind of a weird thing because at the end of the day, right, let's be honest. Um, and I love KSI's fans, right? But the reason you want to be famous for anything is a, because you want to be acknowledged for the work you do. That's, that's a nice valid side of the validation. If you do good work, you want people to respect it. But on the other hand, for a young guy, you're just like, the validation is like, it comes with women. Of you know, for, for a man, that's basically what the, part of the goal is. Why do we do half the things we do? Maybe 80% of the things we do, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're a youngster. So, and if you don't have an identity that you're sure of yourself, you gravitate towards these things that you think, oh, this image of me is going to be cool rather than understanding who you really are and being embraced for that. And what we take for granted is we underestimate how intelligent other people are. People see through our shit when we put an act on. But you don't think that. You think, oh, they'll think of me like this. Yeah. Did you look back at it and feel like people seeing you for what you were and maybe you, you found a lot more substance later on in life and discovering who you really are? The more you know yourself, the less you give a shit what anyone thinks. Yeah. And that's a journey. 
you know, I feel sorry for these kids on Insta. My daughter's 19 years old and I love her more than anything, but I always feel bad because she's a beautiful, super talented girl. But her, all of her friends, everyone, they're all constantly being force fed all these images of these girls who are, uh, you know, uh, showing themselves on Instagram to look a certain way. And I've been on dates with some of these girls. They don't look the same in real life, <laughs> you know, but that pressure is always on and you're always comparing yourself to those people. So it's, it's a really slippery slope. And I think, you know, uh, I think limiting the amount of time you spend on that is really, really important for, for a kid. We've got an unlimited access to be famous. Like everyone and anyone can be famous. And that's great because we're, we're unearthing gems left, right and centre, like KSI, for example, who maybe if it was still just limited to what the mainstream media would allow into the club, would not have made it. But kind of... It's opened the floodgates for a desperate chase for fame for people who are going to waste their lives trying to get famous. It's going to happen a lot of the day. And you're going to see it more than anyone because you're essentially a kingmaker now in this space. You can go, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you onto the record label. I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you onto Misfits. That comes with responsibility in itself because some people mentally aren't fit for that. A lot of people aren't. And I think that I'm not, trying to be a preachy person but I think having some spiritual grounding and when I say spiritual I you know it can be in any form Mm. it's spirituality a lot of it is actually just being present and if you're really present you're capable of understanding and appreciating and walking with gratitude honestly for me it's very hard for me to ever be depressed even when I've lost everything even when I've gone through massive battles because I've always remained grateful optimistic and disciplined and when you have a routine and you're disciplined i've i've had i've had depression come to me at times and um or it comes from within i guess or experiences traumas all that but for me having a routine that i'm disciplined to carry out makes it very difficult to stay still and i think when we're still and not still in the positive way but still in the way of we're giving ourselves so much time to be up here in our heads mm then it's that becomes our enemy. What were those challenges? Like, w- was there one thing that stands out in your story pre this this new version of you that's really coming into your own, clearly, where you were like, God, that was, that was a real point of who the fuck am I? I had uh, tens and tens and tens of millions in the bank, liquid money, a massive mansion in Beverly Hills, nine cars, Lambos, this, that, traveling on 180 foot yachts and private jets, uh, rubbing elbows with everyone and having uh, dating like the hottest of the hottest in LA and flying around doing all this. And I was in my room and I had you know, I, I had company with me. I was just, I woke up and I'm just like, and I was partying and not to go into detail, but I was partying. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And, and I was just like, I've got everything. Why am I so fucking lonely? Why do I feel lonely? And I'm never alone. Mm-hmm. And that's why I felt lonely because I was never alone and I was never comfortable with being alone. So at that point, I said this little affirmation or prayer. I said, like, I said, God, please bring, let me have happiness. What can I do to have happiness? Within six months, I lost close to 70 million bucks. Every penny I had, gone. How did that happen? Uh, um, The market, 
bad, bad investments, uh, trading like I was gambling, like I, I knew what I was doing. And I didn't. I just had this arrogance because I was on an upswing and I had all this luck and all this other stuff kept happening. I was a good hustler, but I wasn't as knowledgeable as I thought I was at all. And yeah, I got stung and it happened over a six month period very quickly to the point where I had about 200 just under $300 to my name. No watches left, no cars, no art, no house, nothing. And it was the most liberating, amazing feeling to have that because I also lost all the friends, the the fake friends. I had a few good ones now. That was yeah, your circle out. gets smaller when the shit hits the farm, bro. Massively. And there were a couple of good ones that stuck through it all, you know. You but, know what? Sometimes it's the ones you don't expect as well. Totally. And the ones you b- truly believe are going to be there, they're the quickest out the fucking door. Listen, there's a guy, uh, without mentioning names, there was a guy I flew out uh, on a private jet, uh, loved him. He was like, I thought he was a great mate of mine, uh, would come on, the, uh, hang out on the boat and I pay everything, the bills, this, that, the other ended up screwing me hardcore. Another guy, uh, I loaned him 500 grand, just like it was nothing. He's like, Hey, I can't pay my dad's, uh, black Amex bill. He's going to kill me. I'm 500 short. And that was a part of the circle of people I was hanging out with. Those rich kids, celebs, athletes, this, that. So I was like, all right, no problem. When I lost everything, I said, listen, I need to borrow 10 grand. I'm selling my last watch and I'll pay you back easy because the watch is worth more. He just disappeared. And I saw this guy probably five days a week. Entitlement's a strange thing, isn't it? Because you've created that in a way. I did. I totally created it. Well, this is the other thing I learned is, and I'll tell you, Brian, I think for me, losing money was never um, painful. I adapted very quickly to new sets of circumstances. I'll tell you a quick story. I was, I was friends with Kim K. Good friends, right? <laughs> this guy come over to the house. Was that like? Was that like? What year are we talking? Roughly, do you know? Pre Kanye? Yeah, yeah, pre Kanye. Yeah, she was relatively famous, not as big as sort of Paris Hilton era. Yes. Yeah. And, and she would come over, hang out. She'd set me up with mates and we never had any attraction. It was more just like she was a mate. I met her family, Uh. lovely, really nice in person to everyone. And, um, she saw me with all these supercars and she'd like, there's one Bentley I had and she's like, can I borrow this? I'm going on a day. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know? And then she was with the she was with another fella at a charity event. She's like, "Ma'am, so I hadn't seen her for a while." And this is past the sex tape release, and she's now huge, right, uh-huh. massive. So I haven't seen you for so long. She's telling her boyfriend, "This guy has the best cars." At this point, I had a rented Ford Focus. Okay, so. As the valet is bringing the Ford Focus around, she's coming out and I get into it proudly. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. And I say, bye, Kim. And she's just looking like, no way. Why is this boy in a Ford Focus, you know? But that's wild. That stuff didn't bother me. What bothered, what hurt me was money I can make with, honestly, without much effort. I can manifest money into my life. What was really tough for me was. relationships. The reason I wanted to make money was because I thought this is what's going to validate me. 
And what's going to validate me is when I, I remember being a kid in school and I was the only brown kid in my class. Mm. It was tough because I was rejected. Uh, I had crushes on everyone. My older brother was like Mr. Saturday Night Fever and he was this guy like John Travolta in the clubs. <laughs> Took me to Stringfellows when I was 14. Legend. And, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm seeing that. And, and until I was about 15 years old, I had no luck with women at all. And I was terrible at it. I just, I kept getting rejected and I'd go up to girls that I didn't know. And I'd be like, look, I really love you. I've, I've made this mixtape for you of fucking cringing and embarrassing, right? Looking back, but I was a kid. I think I got the money because I thought that's what validates me and makes me attractive because I didn't know who I am and what I have to offer beyond that. So then going so hard and making money, my God, at the time, um, was was the mistake and then obviously you're going to lead to relationships and i'm gonna what happens is you tend to attract people who make you feel familiar to the feelings you had as a child growing up so true i've got friends of mine who've had bad relationships with their mothers and they replicate that with their missus of course weird yeah unless it heals you can heal it yeah you can and awareness is the first step, mm-hmm. but it's not the only step. As I found out three wives later, you know, <laughs> so that's good numbers, bro. Yeah. So I was totally unaware. I just thought, and I thought it's all their fault and I'm the savior. I'm coming to save them. And I see them troubled and this and that. And you've got the money to save them. And it wasn't that though. It was, I would do anything to avoid looking in the mirror and saving me from what I really have to overcome, because that's much harder mm. than saving someone else, which you can't do. You try and save them. You you give them a little bit of a honeymoon period. Soon after that, you're both back to what you were going into the relationship. But now you've got a scapegoat. Now you look at each other and say, it's your fault that I'm miserable because you have someone else there to avoid your own feelings and your own demons and that kind of thing. So I learned that the hard way and realized, actually, if it's 90% your fault, 90% their fault in your mind, in your logical men's mind, and I'd be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that 10% and I'm going to take responsibility for that 10% and don't focus on the other. That's where magic really fucking happens. Because the moment you say, hey, look, I'm sorry I did this. The other person as a human being, 90% of the time will go, you know what, I'm sorry I did that. Now you're not challenging each other's egos. It's when you challenge each other's egos that it just goes and uh, erupts into a vicious circle. You're so right. And, and relenting that power and just stopping the fight and, and giving yourself to each other and going, I'm 100% here for you. You're 100% here for me. And we're on the same team. Instead of two opposing players almost, you know what I mean? Challenging each other to be the leader of, of the pack. Um, and going back to what you were saying about the money as well, if, obviously if you're, I'm assuming if money is your God, like you were saying, you're also attracting women who aren't with you for you. They don't know why they're there with you. They justify it to themselves that it's a good reason. People think, but at the same time, I'm attracting someone because I think that's a status symbol for me mm. to be dating this celeb. So why is that any better than them dating me because of money? It's both shallow, a uh, shallow premise to build on, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, this relationship I'm in now, for example, it's built on proper, proper friendship, respect. There's not one single fight. All we do is laugh, joke, and and just and and it's happened very organically. There's no there's no agenda there. 
Other than you, you have know, to grow up to get to that point, though, don't you? Fucking hell, do you? Yeah, and like, it's a lot of suffering to get there. A lot. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the same place right now in my head, in my my life. You have to grow to get to that point where you're like, okay, here's my self worth. Here's who I am. I know what I am. I know what I want, and I know what I'm looking for. And unfortunately, you do have to be humbled a lot to get to that point. And yes. I think you look at, looking at what you've been through, I've been through a similar thing where I've lost things. On the day you do it, it's hard. It is. But like you say, it is liberating because you do find out who the fuck is real and who isn't. And you do build a much better friendship group out of that. And you do realize who you really are and that money isn't who you really are. No. It is just a thing that helps you live a certain way rather than being the goal. And yeah, what was Kim Kardashian like? By the just going back to it. Like, was there other celebrities of that ilk that you were hanging around with? Like, what? what drop some names. Come on. No, there were a lot. Yeah. We, were all, we were all hanging out uh, a lot at the time. A lot of the athletes, a lot of. There was a club. Briar called Teddy's and it was run by this uh, amazing woman called Amanda Demi. I remember pulling up, I was in a three-piece pinstripe suit, Tony Montana style, my hero, right? <laughs> so I pull up uh, in a Carrera GT like this, it's the first one out there is like, you know, and back then 500 grand for a car was a lot of money, you know? Yeah. My boy had an Enzo behind. We go in she goes, you're not coming into this club. You guys are cheesy as fuck. You're, this isn't what I want. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, I said, well, get us 20 bottles of Chris. Let's go. And she goes, no, that's not how it works here. It was the first place in LA that had ever been like that. She said, but I like your energy. I can tell you're a nice guy. You're a bit lost, but just come back on, come back tomorrow and we'll have a chat. Came back. She bought me five beers and we just, she said, sit down. I'm, get, I'm buying the rounds of beers for you guys, this, that. That club, pre-TMZ, pre-camera phones, and you had Jack Nicholson doing his thing on the table. You had, um, what's the girl's name? Jessica Simpson to, um, I, I don't know, Jessica Alba. You had A-listers all over the shop and no one was worried and they were all doing what they're doing and not worried about it you know and it was it was a it was we like all studio know legendary reputation yeah 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 it was like studio 54 of the modern era and it only lasted for about nine months before uh the camera phones and the tmz stuff you invested into lady gaga's career before anyone before knew she before was. she was even Lady Gaga, yeah, because yeah. I remember seeing her on MTV shows, like you know, there's, there's there's clips of her before she became famous, where she was like doing her thing. So, did you spot her talent before it all took off? No, um, someone brought her to me and said, like, she's going to be massive. Mm. Signed to Interscope. Let's let's do this thing together. That kind of thing. When she became massive, what happened was. I was like, oh shit, I have no money left. Where else Where else have I invested? And where else? Oh yeah, well, Lady Gaga's obviously. I've been, and it's not like I just left it uh, for years. I had a relationship. Do you start working with her in the studio? Yes. So I, I was in studios with all these guys. Some, some you know, from T-Pain, Snoop to yeah. uh, Robbie. Uh, all these guys just sitting there. Try, but I had no clue what I was doing. So I wasn't getting credit for anything that I was doing. I wasn't registering my publishing. I went to the school of hard knocks and basically 
got done left, left, right and center, but got an education out of it and realized and had to learn the hard way. I didn't go in there as a musical guy because honestly, my mum still listens to Julio Iglesias and, um, and maybe a bit of Bon Jovi at <laughs> most, you know? So I didn't have a diverse musical background. I didn't learn the flute. I didn't do any of that, but it was just, I immersed into this and I'm morphed into this area because my passion before that was, was theater just acting. I didn't want to do film. I just loved acting on stage. But I got sick and tired of getting cast as either a terrorist or a, <laughs> or a Mexican gangster. And I could do the voices well. I did them. But so then I got a job on the door and I was working in the West End for a few years, did really well, uh, relatively speaking, from that and uh, did well for the club. And then made a lot of relationships and got into real estate and all this other stuff. And wow, okay, this led. makes sense now. When you say you immerse yourself in the studio realm, are you learning how to make beats? Are you writing or all of the above? All of the above. And I just, I basically faked it. I just, I, I would act like I know what I'm doing. And I'm sure if there was a compilation of clips of stupid things I've said and done to the big uh, celebrities and people, uh, the cringe would be unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I would probably melt. But yeah, I, I, it's just all stuff I learned. But it also was the fact that I was in these clubs, having a convoy of six cars follow each other, all the beautiful women, uh, big uh, bouncers. I was, I was so cringe at one point, but I knew it. I was aware of this. I had two geisha girls dressed in full geisha outfits fanning me at the club wherever <laughs> I went. People was oh my god that guy's what what is he doing but as soon as you give them attention in LA they'd be like okay yeah I'll come hang out you know <laughs> so, yeah so it worked then it did work at the time and it's all based on that like that insecurity of you being that that short kid you know who felt like he was neglected from women and it was all of that i mm. had this i had this alpha male inside me but my perception of an alpha male it was wrong basically it was off an alpha male is james bond he's cool he doesn't give a shit he doesn't get upset about little things you know that's someone who's um maybe i don't know if that's a good example no is no that, i hear you it, it is but you know your what insecurity I mean? was, was pouring out my insecurity was crazy uh -huh. and it was a cultural thing as well bringing that in and being the only kid you know i, d I wasn't allowed to speak english uh, we didn't speak english in my house until i was like four or five years old. So I'd go to nursery and I didn't know what the fuck anyone was saying. I was Dude, so frustrated. Hard. Yeah. I think I learned early on overcoming challenges is, is an appealing thing to me and whether it was a girl and things back then were very different to what they are now. When, when a girl said, Hey, I'm not interested in you. Uh, you're short, you're not my type and I'm uh, dating George Clooney currently. <laughs> so fuck off. Um, that wasn't a no to me. That was like, okay, you're going to wake up with 500 roses, shoes in your size. I've spoken to your publicist, this, that, and an invitation to dinner and this and that. And then she became my wife, you know? So really, yeah. So it was a different, it was well, a different that really one. happened. Yes. You fucking and, mad bastard. Yeah. And more like things like that all the time. Wow. There's just so much I'm getting hit with right there. With it. Let's uh, the, the, go on the woman thing. Cause the one thing that I did make me giggle a little bit, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, we Please, cut it out go ahead, go ahead. but there's an iconic moment in movie history. Yeah. In Liar Liar. Yes. And I could not believe this because I've seen this clip a thousand times. And if anyone has, it's when Jim Carrey gets in the elevator and he looks next to a woman. He can only tell the truth. And he says, you've got massive jugs. Right? And she's a very pretty woman. You married that woman. 
Yeah. That that alone gave me an insight of like, oh, this man wants the 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 thing that every man is wanting. You the, the, and for whatever reason, I don't know what that one was like. Obviously, I'm sure she was lovely, and that's your business. But you were looking for status. You were you were finding women who added to your value for sure, hundred percent. And look. She's an amazing woman who's overcome a lot for herself as well. Mm. Can't say a bad word. But together, we were oil and water, just like anyone I was attracting. So it's like when you're attracting these, uh, it's not it's not that you're better than them, right? It's It's that you're both completely clueless to the ability of taking responsibility for who you are. And you know how people are like, love yourself first before you love anyone. If you wholly loved yourself, then you wouldn't have any time to love anyone because it's it's a fucking work in progress journey that lasts 150, 200 years oh, yeah. beyond our lifetimes. But yeah. if you're able to be self-aware enough to acknowledge the baggage you come with and don't ask the other person to hold that baggage, there's some things that inevitably you're going to take on together if you fall in love and everything else. But, of course. But being conscious of not making the other person responsible for your happiness, it's such a big, big thing. You know, um, because the truth is only you can make yourself happy. Only you can. And perspective has a lot to do with that. And we get comfortable in these situations um, where we we rely on other things. We rely on money and, and cars and things. That stuff doesn't make you happy. I say that from experience, having been broke, having been wealthy and having made it back again uh, and from a very different standpoint. I'm not at the club anymore. Going back into this this Lady Gaga situation, you're in this lawsuit. So you invested money into her and you didn't have anything to, to show for the situation that you'd help build, I guess. Yeah, and we settled after a few years of basically me, um, you know, living living paycheck to paycheck and everything else. And that that helped me get back on my feet. Did that create a, a rift in terms of emotionally between you and her and maybe other artists that you've worked with before when that's gone sour? No. Um, I mean, I was never super close with her uh-huh. or anything like that. You know, I met her, the first time I met her, she came to my house in a tracksuit and hair in a bun. And I was just like, wow, she's really talented and she's very confident and different. And I immediately said, she, I said to uh, my friend that introduced us, I said, she's definitely a star, 100%. Let's mm. get behind it. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. And I'll say this. I think that me losing all of that money and then getting a settlement, I got what I deserved in terms of, I think on the come up, I wasn't, I wasn't the person I am now. I didn't have the same set of principles. I would be like, I justify taking more money. I was a bit of a scumbag with that because I didn't know I didn't have the moral compass. And I said, oh, well, I did way more work than this guy. Even though we said, let's go 50 50, I'm going to take 900 and you get 100 grand. And I paid for it and it all got taken from me, basically. That's Mm. my philosophy of it. I think it's almost a self imposed um, karmic sort of retribution. And this makes a lot of sense because, look, obviously we're, we're kind of work together a little bit um, behind the scenes on Misfits. And I see how you treat the fighters very fairly. 
And I can only assume that all of those experiences have played into why you are the way you are now. A hundred percent. You know how some people are naturally just nice people with a great moral compass. They make the right decisions. They know the difference between right and wrong. I don't think I had that luxury. So it was a voyage of discovery and things wouldn't feel good. Like sometimes doing something bad would, would end up hurting you, you know, like cheating on, on someone you were with or whatever, that kind of stuff ended up hurting me. And I thought, oh, I'm Jack the Lad. It's okay to have a wife that you love as long as you treat her well. And as a man, you should be able to do whatever you want. But she hasn't consented to that. You haven't, we haven't had that arrangement. There's no honesty. And I'll tell you what, putting my phone out and not taking it to the shower with me feels really good, man. (laughs) You know, we can both agree on that as well, bro. We've definitely learned a lot uh, over the years because cheating, when you first start doing it as a a young man, sometimes you justify it in your head of, oh, I haven't been treated well, so therefore fuck this and I'm going to go and do what I want in this moment. And and look, sometimes I, I get why men, we do that, right? And sometimes that's a sign right there, bro. You know, if you're feeling that way, then obviously you shouldn't fucking be there. But for whatever reason sometimes we don't make that decision and we keep going and uh and now as a, as a as an older guy i feel it's so nice to have a clean conscience and not feel wrecked with guilt and yes. hiding and lying is so taxing lying is so much energy like the 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 best life you can live is with one without lying for sure it's so much more clean uh-huh. it feels like eating clean yeah it honestly feels the same yeah when you, when you when you put your head on your pillow and you know you've done your best you know to be a good person and to to try to live by a certain code and i yeah. think that weight that you carry of that guilt. Some people are really good at it, and they don't. They don't feel the guilt as much. I guess. I mean, they're, they're basically psychopaths, in my opinion. Yeah, but I, yeah. I agree. Like to be able to do shit like that is a skill in itself, and not a good one. And going back to the KSI thing, so you, you, you've obviously you've left the Lady Gaga situation. You've set up your own management company, and you're introduced to uh, JJ. What were you making of him at that point? And, and what, how long ago was this roughly? 2018. Right. So he'd been dabbling in music a bit, but obviously nothing had quite taken off anywhere near the level of what it did once you got involved. And when were you like, yeah, I can, I can make this happen for you? SX called me. He's like, Hey, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing some work with KSI. And, and, uh, I was like, Oh, that's the guy who did the boxing match. I think it was with. I think he'd done Logan. Yeah, that would have been Logan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Joe Weller. Mm. So I said, okay, okay, yeah, my daughter showed me that match and this and that. I was like, cool. And he goes, bro, he's really, really a good guy. He's a great guy. And I think we could, you know, help him out with music. And he doesn't, his, he doesn't really have a manager who's helping him with music that understands music. I said, okay, let's set up a call. I think it was the next day or whatever. I did my research on him, listened to his songs. And then, uh, we got, we, we got on a call for, spoke for about 30, 40 minutes. And by that point, I believed and I saw the vision. I was like, he's got a unique voice. He's got a fan base. Having a fan base on a different platform can be a massive disadvantage to having a music career. You know, many, many, many people have tried and failed. Mm -hmm. So as much as people think, oh, well, you've got a base already, uh, most of his fans wouldn't really really they didn't take they didn't love his music as much they wouldn't show up show up to his music uh but they'd show up for a meet and greet for example right so these were things that i looked at and i just i said to him i said if you're really dedicated um these are the goals we're gonna 
We're going to get your a top 10 in the UK. We're going to get a number one album. We're going to get a number one single. And then we're going to break America. He goes, all right, let's just start. And he was just chill. He's like, he's like, that sounds good. I'm excited. But at the end of the, and, and that was it. He signed the contract like five minutes later after one call. And I was like, you sure? And he goes, yeah, man, I, I got good feeling. And I said, me too. And we built a relationship that was based on trust. It was, I think we built the trust. I mean, we got tested a lot. And I think I think the loyalty was a big, big thing. How do we get tested? A lot of people saw me rush in and they saw me as an outsider. And some still do. The thing with me is that I have been, uh, with all of my clients, we have, even, even the kids that work for me, uh, Jake, Abs, these guys who run uh, UK and US and all that for the music side of things, we have a moral code and we have a a sort of moniker where we say, the mental and physical health of our client comes before everything, before every check, before anything. That's number one. Number two is their brand long term and their connection with their fans, not doing something that's going to alienate your fan base and this and that. Of course, you can't control their every move, but strategically as a manager and as a management company, you want to be aligned with that. And third comes the money. And we've, JJ and I have rejected maybe 300 plus million dollars since we've started working together just from all these things that didn't align with um making him happy the exertion of energy to put into this shoot and that you know how it is brian mm-hmm. people think oh he's just doing an ad or a music video or this and that that takes a lot mentally and mm-hmm. physically i'm not saying feel sorry for anyone but it does take energy to do There's that. There's only so many hours in the day and people forget that. Yeah. And you get dragged in a million different directions. So it is important to have someone looking out for a megastar like him. Yes. Sure. That's genuinely, when you when you see what a nice guy he is, you know him. Of course. Away from the KSI image and everything mm-hmm. else, the, the humility, the, he's a humble guy. He's very helpful to so many people, very quietly. Some, mm-hmm. some you know, are in the public eye, but some very quietly. I've seen things that he's done um, and the first time was when we had an intern on the music video to the Trippy Red KSI song, uh, Wake Up Call. And this intern comes and, uh, and KSI is like, hey, man, I have no Wi-Fi. Um, and I said uh, to the intern, I was like rushing around. I was like, hey, man, give me your phone. I need to use it for JJ to be on your hotspot. And you just got to keep your phone here. JJ was like, no, no, no. Hold on. What's your name, bro? Uh, are you sure it's OK that I use your phone? Is it okay with you? Like, I know, you know, everyone's glued to their phone, so I don't want to. Yeah, and he, he's very polite, for sure. He'll make sure he knows everybody's name. He's the first person there to show up, and he's the last to leave. Mm-hmm. He's got the work ethic, and I see what frustrates me, and everyone wants the same results that he gets without putting in the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's go back to the outsider. Yes. Right, because if there's one thing that everyone who's close to to JJ understands is, is like a lot of people depend on him and, and when you become the, the money bag everyone is your friend and everyone wants a piece of you so you're coming in with a legitimate set of skills that can potentially elevate him to another level but other people don't know that you know and it's not necessarily even that they're trying to keep him for themselves but you are an outsider at that point so what kind of difficulties did you come up against people who shall remain nameless you know i'm not trying to start beefs and things but people tried to cock block a lot of deals people tried to cock block things um what kind of deals would you 
like the first music deal we did, we got... Was that with Sony? Yeah? No, it was with BMG. Okay. Uh, after they they weren't pop, part of Sony at that point. Uh-huh. Got him a mega deal as an independent artist, stays independent, owns his own masters, big check, uh, freedom to basically do what we want creatively. Why did they try to cock block that, do you think? It's not always malicious. Sometimes it might be. But I think that most people's perspectives on their opinions and advice is sprinkled with their own objectives as well. Of course. You can't blame people for that. And uh, But at the same time, it's very hard to give a selfless, uh, uh, very objective opinion when you're in the mix in some capacity. Mm-hmm. When you're getting a cut of the deal, or maybe not getting a cut of this deal, but would have gotten a cut of a different deal. But the problem was the people. different deals were a lot smaller and a lot less valuable and a lot less cool and a lot less, you know, they, so nothing compared to it. Um, like take prime for example, but look, I, I did, I was doing well before I met JJ at that point, I was already back on my feet doing pretty well. And then JJ comes along and as much as I helped, uh, facilitate a lot of things for him. He was the perfect partner to do that with because his work ethic, his principles, and I, I literally have said no to working with, again, names I won't mention because they're pricks. And I don't want my energy to be expended on people who are going to give me a hard time for nothing, mm. you know, and be prima donnas and this and that. That guy isn't. It's funny. It, it kind of reminds me of the story of Dr. Dre when he had a bit of a lull when Death Row had finished and he, he, he was, people were looking at him like, you know, you're done. And then he found Eminem and it just gave him a new lease of life and he was back up, you know, feeling the best he could. Yeah. And it, sound, it sounds a bit like that, how he was a catalyst for you as well. A hundred percent. I mean, I think we brought out the best in each other. Mm. We've got each other's backs and we're honest with each other. And also we're not afraid to disagree with each other. Mm. He'll, you know, he'll tell you and I'll tell you the same. Many times we've butted heads, but we, we cool off. As tell me one of the one of the times you remember specifically where you were like, this was biblical. Prime. Oh, really? Yeah. Prime. Am I right in thinking you're part of the Prime deal as well? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I think this is the biggest one. We've had loads. And and sometimes I've been wrong. I've, I've not, I'm not always right, 100%, but I, I can walk away and reflect and say oh shit you know what you were right about this yeah and i've seen that myself from like us doing the misfits chats you are very open-minded for sure i definitely try to you know but but what happened was um we're in a group chat six partners was logan one of those yes and (laughs) i think we were a week away from launching okay and contracts were about to be signed something happened in the group chat where jj got offended Okay. And it wasn't because he was wrong to be offended. And it wasn't because the, uh, the intention was to offend him at the same time. It was a total mismatch, miscommunication, American and English sense of humor, not. Was that Logan or no? I, I, let me, let me not say more than that. Okay. It, it actually wasn't, but, okay. um, but it was, it was a misunderstanding and, and it was a series of that happening. And I, you know, as someone who lives in America, I understood it and I was like, oh no, this is going to get taken wrong, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just sort of like feeling awkward. And I was right. JJ emailed the lawyers, hey, I don't want to do this. I'm out. And deleted himself from the group chat. <laughs> Dude, when you think about what Prime has become, wow. Yeah. I mean, you the, the amount of money, just 
let's just estimate what the what is the value currently of Prime? What are they valuing at? Do you know? I'd say it's about eight to ten billion. Okay, so it's an it's a mega company, yeah. and at that moment, you don't know that, but you know there's potential there, and you're watching it walk out of the WhatsApp group. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's like yeah, no, it was bad because look, the seed was planted when I I hit Logan up and I said I want you to be on the KSI show as the ghost of Christmas past or whatever uh-huh. this this thing we had for the KSI show. We, yeah, yeah, I remember we had a lot of criticism for as well it was a great show yeah i enjoyed it still i I've, anyway um logan was really cool and i'd been saying to jj post their second fight i'm like it's difficult to not like this guy on impulsive i'd been watching him bro i've been there when that when i met logan the first time and i was like you know uk guy team ksi and all of that and i disliked logan's actions previous to that but when you meet him people don't understand He's a nice guy. And, you know. What won me over going back to the incident is when I called and called Logan and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. Um, I'm not giving up, but right now as it stands, this is what's going on and the prime thing. Logan was a fucking superstar about it. He was self-reflective, very calm, very understanding. And also uh, he was like, look, it's it's fucked because we've all done so much work for this mm. you know i mean especially logan jj and the you know the guys the, the other guys behind it who are geniuses they put a lot of time effort energy into this so the way he reacted and the way the other guys reacted was so cool that i then went back to jj and i said listen you can't just say no i'm not doing this as a man, this isn't this isn't something that is right. And he said to me, you're right. You know, he didn't argue and resist it. It was two days after because I knew he needed a cooling off period. Mm-hmm. And I said, just do me one favor. We have a call with everyone and you guys chat. Say your piece. They'll say their piece. And if at the end of that call, you say to me, Mams, don't want to do it. I'll never bring it up again. You know, this is the type of older brother type advice yes. that everyone needs yeah. you know we all have that hot-headed moment in us you do i do as, as men but to just have someone to go just fucking and that's why I, I try not to make decisions in the heat of the moment if something's happening i give it a couple of days and then i think about it you know and i think that's such good advice it's the best mate that might have saved this man billions <laughs> like we're not even joking that no. one conversation is that domino effect that could have changed his life even jj was always going to be good but this yeah. is another level of wealth that we're talking about yeah but similarly <clears throat> I, ca- I can't remember he's done exactly the same for me where i've been hot-headed <laughs> and he's like bro and he's i remember misfits um remember when jake went in on us about uh wasabi being replaced swarms in his pajamas yeah that wasn't a nice day for me man and i did the i went out and did a video and I'd, I'd had a fucking edible okay <laughs> <laughs> and i just said fuck this and i started doing the squirrel impression oh shit and then i was like I wasn't used to this. I realized that this was a baptism of fire for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I wasn't used to any of this. It was like, fire this guy, this and that. People also don't know behind the scenes what goes on and everything else. So everyone's like, fire him, fire him. Who is this guy? Why is he giving these guys to JJ? And it was a, a plethora of different circumstances that came together that forced certain events to happen. And I take responsibility for my parts in that. But JJ called me. And he just goes, hey, bro, I know you and I know you're going through it and I know you're very strong, 
but I know, I know what it's like. It's getting to you right now, isn't it? Cause I can, I can feel it. Mm. And I'm like, bro, it is kind of fucking getting to me, man. <laughs> this sucks. Like I'm not used to, everyone, to the internet. everyone calling me a 60 year old man. And yeah. fucking, you're this, you're that. You're. And you know what, mate, when you're thrown in at the deep end, like you are, like you didn't get the training school that a lot of people get. Like a lot of people will grow, grow, grow. They'll have an interaction with KSI. That'll help them build. And they'll go through a few things. You literally are like, boom. You're the guy. Welcome to Misfits. But I also, this is the crazy thing. I wish there was a way, and don't get me wrong, I love, I've never met as much as as much hate as I get on Twitter for certain things or whatever from Jake Paulers or whatever. Mm. And it's nothing compared to JJ. On In my world of never being used to any negativity, maybe maybe once in a while when it was on Worldstar and I was wearing makeup on the Snoop song, <laughs> you, you know, I got some I got some comments here and there. <laughs> but I had to find that funny anyway. Yeah. But, but this was just a barrage of nonstop. I don't remember who said this to me, but someone said, if they don't know you personally, don't take it personally. Whoever said that is a genius. It's really it's true. Facts, mate. And, yeah. and, and, you know, in that moment, like, I, my first impression of you wasn't great either because I'm like, who's this guy starting on Joe Weller? This is mental. <laughs> but the more we've gotten to know you on and off camera, I think, yes, you're human and yes, you've made mistakes. But like, we're looking at this Misfits Prime card now as almost like your graduation as a fight promoter like you've had your topsy turn and even me eddie hearn is still having these moments till this day and he's been doing this for years yeah he still has moments where you think and he's immaculate he's he's fantastic he's one of the best promoters of all time but even times i look at him and i go fuck me why did you say that mate so it is going to happen well like all fight promoters are going to do it the more you're on camera the more you're on a microphone mm. the more you're susceptible to saying something stupid at some point. well yeah you're talking to the expert yeah <laughs> and it happens right yeah and 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 it doesn't i think to ourselves we've got to make sure we know that it doesn't define who we are to ourselves even though from a, from outsiders looking in that's how they're going to see it that's mm. the guy who did this that's the guy who did that so that's true. that's the way they look at you yeah. but you know my donkeys don't view me like that my <laughs> just to be clear he owns a farm yeah <laughs> that's not a nickname for anyone no yeah. yeah my horses don't think of me as the guy who did a squirrel face and fucking <laughs> uh, hit jesse metcalf they don't give a shit about yeah. that but the irony of it is again i have a personality i can't help that i have that i'm a passionate person the the irony of it is i'm not out here looking for followers and clout and this and that i could give a shit at this point in my mm -hmm. life definitely not it's not a thing but yeah when i wanted to be famous it was the most evasive thing in the world and i'm not saying i am now but if i wanted to ironically if i now you're not bothered about yeah, it it's right so there if i wanted to do like oh let me do a youtube channel and do this and do mm -hmm. that i only want to do things that are fun and i'm passionate about and even those things come with mental challenges nonstop. Why do you think KSI chose you to run Misfits? I think from his first fight with Logan, uh, from his second fight with Logan, I was involved in the music. So I got Rick Ross and SX. We, that was the first song I did with KSI. Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> Got to give it up to the big man. And the, the ring entrance and all of that. It was sick. Like, yeah. yeah, what a night. Mm. But, but I remember I wasn't that close to him i'd met him twice three times we'd spoken on the phone a bunch of times mm. and after he won i went into the locker room talk about being an outsider yeah i went into the locker room i was like yes yes jj i gave him a big hug and he was like a bit like all right 
calm down and everyone was looking at me like who's this guy you know uh, and i was like oh shit i was like oh, i'm really excited you won you know but he wasn't trying to be co- i think it took time for jj to see that i'm genuine with him and my intentions on, are aligned with him you know? i mean and you know the saddest thing I've, I've, I've thought about this before and i don't mean this is a knock on jj at all it's just like in his shoes i can only assume you will almost never know who your true friends are because you'll never see them tested to the fullest extent. Like only when you have that moment that you had and that I've had where you have zero in the bank account and where the people who you've had built around you for the money, you know, have a reason to either stay or go, uh, then you'll find out. But he'll never have zero. He'll never. And as much as he can get a good idea and he'll think, you know as well as I do, until those motherfuckers are tested, you, you'd be shocked at how many people will walk away from you in that scenario. There's been small and medium tests mm. here and there, you know, and I think, I think he's become more astute and more aware of, of that energy now. Mm. And that's because he's done a lot of work on himself. Mm-hmm. So the more you do on yourself, the more you're aware of other people because they're a reflection yeah. of either who you are or how you've been. You yeah, know? you said he did therapy and I can only assume you think you've seen the, the results of that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Because I remember, and again, JJ is such a people pleaser in some ways. You know, not all the time, but he has that quality where we would go, um, we were going really hard on the music. It was crazy, crazy scheduling and this and that. And I would check in on him. I'm like, are you okay? How are you feeling? And he wouldn't say, he wouldn't open up and say, bro, this is too much. Then suddenly he would blow up and he'd be like, I can't do this, Mm. you know? And I was like, all right, we need to reset take a break. Let's figure out what we need to do. What do you want? You know, like we'd have a lot of these conversations. It's both ways because even when he, I'd learn from him as much as I was a big brother, I'd learn from him from observing how he treats people and how he is with people. I was like, wow, this guy is so spiritually grounded without ever doing spiritual work um, outside of therapy and stuff. But I've been to freaking 10-day silence Vipassanas and ayahuascas and meditation of 12 hours a day retreats and all this bullshit because I didn't, I needed to find that. He naturally has equanimity to some degree, to a very large degree when something really crazy bad happens, he stays centered. When something really crazy good happens, yeah, he has a little celebration, but he doesn't get moved. You know, it's like a little Buddha. And yeah. that's a skill we f- we work hard to acquire. He can take things and say, I have acceptance of this reality a lot faster than most others. And I think that's a big yeah, skill. There's something that, that is very spiritual and, and being, being not being defined by your wins and letting them get carried away, but also not letting your losses drown you too much either. Yeah. It's so hard to do though, to emotionally regulate yourself like that. Oh, very hard. And to be honest with yourself and honest, and you think you're honest with yourself, but there's another layer of ego slipping in and it's a never ending story, but he's, he's very, he's very good at that. And I think, um, don't get me wrong when he beats Tommy Fury, He's gonna be. He's gonna. He's, oh, he's gonna, gonna be on the walls, uh, yeah. isn't he? He's gonna be on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Um. Going back to the music side of things, 
you know, I remember JJ's music, Lamborghini, the classics, which I still have a place in my heart for because it's Absolutely. like, it is really a part of his growth in YouTube history and seeing him go from that. But then to see him go from those kind of tracks um, to Holiday, which was on every fucking radio station. W were you in the studio when these were being made? And, and was there a moment where you were like, oh, Oh, we, we got something um, here. Like, what? Can you take me back to those times where you realised, okay, we're actually going beyond the YouTube audience with this? Yes, yes. I mean, look, I think again, not to take, and I want to be careful because I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm taking credit for everything and I've done all these amazing things. I couldn't have done any of these amazing things without an amazing team and without an amazing version of JJ, which he gave himself, mm -hmm. which he gave us every day. You know, um, but one of it's hot, funny you bring Holiday up. The label, I we sent the song, it was with Jake Gosling and Digital Farm Animals, and we sat there, and, and they sent me the song. I was in LA at the time. They sent me the song, and I go, oh my God, this is a fucking smash. This is a smash. You you got this is the next single. And JJ's like, Yeah, but Mams, you say that about every song. I'm like, no, 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 no. This this one is is special. And then sent it to the label and God bless them. BMG were amazing with us. We did a great job. But on this song, they went as far as setting up a multi uh, leader zoom call with all the heads of departments saying, you cannot put this song out. It's fucking shit. You can't put this song really? out. Yes. You cannot do this. And I'm I right. That's his biggest hit. It's his biggest hit. Yeah. Cause it, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But JJ and I, we were like, we know this song is is the one you know when you're like i can see this no matter what anyone else tells me it doesn't matter if if clive davis uh jimmy Iveen came and said mate don't put holiday out i would still have done it jj would still have done it mm. and it doesn't mean there weren't doubts here and there but when we when we knew we put it together it was like this is the one i understand in a sense of like if someone was to say to you this ain't really ksi or, or whatever like it ain't his usual thing but but I mean, it was a it was a classic in that it it was very radio friendly and anyone could listen to it. A five year old, fifty year old, didn't matter. And I think that that transformed him into a different level of artist. Where even for me, I'm like, fucking hell, he's at Wembley Stadium singing this. Yeah, this is mental. Mental. Like, and I always thought him and Logan were going to be big, and I was seeing that. But that that was. That was the magic, really, that you managed to pull together to, to take him to that next level. Well, the J I understood the JJ brand fairly quickly, and the mm. JJ brand is to keep the fans on their toes, keep they and and then his fans have a very honest relationship with him, you know, yeah, and he takes it on when it's yeah. valid and has merit and, and it's constructive criticism. He really takes it. He on. does, yeah. Um, they were like, oh. Uh, he's doing all these American features. Boom. We did Houdini with English features. Mm -hmm. Oh, he needs features for everything. Boom. Holiday. So it's all about doing the setup and then a surprise. Take them away from a natural. Is that why you called it all over the place? Yeah. Well, the JJ is one of the few artists that can hop on a house song, a hip hop track, yeah. a trap song, and then a pop song like Holiday. Mm. There aren't many who can get away with that. That's so true. It's, I yeah. think that's because he's he has a unique voice. And it is, it's kind of like, there's a couple of rappers out there who can do that, but it yeah. is, it is hard to do that, to just be able to transfer it to any type of music. 
Um, and in terms of like where you went from there with Misfits, you don't have a, a boxing promoter background. So all of a sudden you're put in this situation of, yeah, can you help me run this boxing promotion event? What was that like? Well, I said to JJ, I think, I think, and, and, and Liam was managing JJ. I was doing the music management at the time of uh, KSI Logan part two. And I said to Liam, I was like, bro, we should be doing our own thing. We should be doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, blah, blah, blah. But executing, having ideas is easy, right? We can mm -hmm. all have ideas, but it's the execution. And that took a long time to put it together. But luckily, I grew up with Kala and Nissa, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you know, we've known each other from, we were in brawls together against each other's mates and like, <laughs> we've got proper history, you know, and they're nuts by the way. Oh yeah. So anyway, I said, let's put two and two together. Um, and JJ was like, I think it's a brilliant idea. I said, look, if we're going to do music, let's make sure you have your own label. Drake does this. Um, Mayweather does this with boxing where he has his own promotion. De La Hoya, the guys who are the wealthiest, most successful, let's learn from them. Did a broadcast deal with The Zone for five years. It didn't start as a five-year deal. I think after Misfits, uh, after X-Series um, 003 uh, or 002, they just said, no, 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 we, we need to lock this up and do a five-year deal. I'm not surprised. Yeah. When, you, when you look at their other fighters and, and how volatile the space is, having something that's consistent is a rarity and you guys are consistent. Well, that's where they went wrong the first time is there was this massive buzz, KSI Logan 2, and then it didn't really, it took too much time to follow up with one other card that had influences. I think they had Gibb and Jake Paul Gibbon, after that, but that was ages and that after. was it, And that yeah. was it, nothing else. So they knew, and I, I said this going into the meeting, I'm like, but I didn't expect that we're going to do 10, 12 shows a year. I thought it's going to be like six a year, and it's just evolved, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it's super fun, it's super exciting, but it definitely, definitely takes up a lot of time and energy. You've got to love it. Brian, I used to have WWE action figures I used to play with when I was a kid, and I'd do commentary, and I'd <laughs> create my own WWE world. Yeah. And I was so, uh, UFC, when that happened, I was like glued to every, you know, before weight classes were a thing in the yeah, UFC, yeah. you know. All of this is an amazing kind of dream that's been manifested and aligned with KSI. Like what are the chances that we're both, we love music and we love combat sports or boxing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but then seeing things like the opportunities it creates for others, other uh, YouTubers, other people on the platform. Um, and more importantly than that, the amount of emails and texts and DMs from mums and dads and kids saying, I was obese, I was depressed, uh, my son, you've saved his life, things like this, that's that's like, well, we're, maybe we're doing something really good here. Mm. You know, maybe it's actually, and I've had gym owners tell me that they've had way more, way more memberships from uh, youngsters between 12 and 21 years old since Misfits inception. A million percent. Yeah. The, maybe since Mike Tyson, there isn't a single uh, movement in boxing that has got as many young people interested in boxing as this has. Not even close. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Anthony Joshua, a lot of them are great people, but this is a different level of impact that we're seeing right now. In terms of the thing I love about Misfits is the, the name Misfits really sums up what you've managed to make is unlikely heroes, right? And yeah. like people like Salt Papi, we just looked at him today, his transformation from this chubby kid who started off. He looks like a different human. 
Like, yeah. it is insane. Uh, what do you make of his transformation? I think it's just the beginning as well. Mm. Like, this is the first time he's tried to really cut weight, mm. you know, and make an effort. And now he's, you know, he's got, you can see his abs through his shirt. <laughs> Jobs in it. I bet he didn't think that would happen a year ago. It's genuinely know? inspirational. Like, yeah. it'd make me go, bloody hell, I need to get my ass in gear yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, and, and seeing um, some of the experiences that we've had on those shows, like Deji's first win or even... Um, Fousey coming out and having this moment where you see him shredded up and the self-improvement that it's encouraged these guys to have. My favorite actual post-fight interview was Fousey and the way he talked about, you know, people wanting to feel, people feeling so low that they want to die, but that's not really how you feel. It's this version of you. And he's currently going through some stuff. And I yeah. just wondered, like, from someone who's worked with Fousey before, what what is he like? And, and what do you make of what we're seeing now on the internet with all of this attention on him? and what it's sort of caused in his mental health you know honestly speaking i've i think we all have a version of depression and and um you know all these buzzwords which trauma and it again we've got to be very careful because you never want to minimize anyone else's experience mm. something to me that caused depression to me to another person would be like why would that depress you that much you know you've got a great life or this and that and then uh, to my kid, for example, if, if she says I'm depressed, but I don't know why. And that's, that's a tough one, you know, but that's very common for a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. So everyone has a different version of it. I know Fusi to be a very pleasant, fun, good, loving guy. Um, he's very intelligent, but he's also his own worst enemy. Yeah. You that know? does feel like, like what, what makes everyone want to watch him is also the thing that kind of is destroying him. It's that catastrophic car crash TV that he puts on on his live shows. But, but that's the thing. You start to become that character mm. that you're playing. You know, if you, if you play that character long enough, listen, uh, speaking of Hollywood, um, one of the girls I dated, um, she was a phenomenal actress, like fucking hell, amazing. But she would go and play these roles that were really demanding, really challenging. She was a method actor, which meant she really, really immersed himself in that. Like Al Pacino would wear a blindfold before Scent of a Woman and got into the blind man's character and mm. all that. She became that person. And she would become evil. This sweet, amazing, lovely girl would just become absolutely pure evil during the relationship. You couldn't separate it. I think if you pra you get good at whatever you practice, if you practice complaining a lot and being a victim, which again, it happens, we can all fall into that. If you practice that, you become a really good victim. If you mm. practice taking responsibility and saying, fuck it, I'm going to overcome this. That's a really masculine energy that to, to bring into something like that. And it doesn't work for everyone. I get that. Some people need sweetness, music, whatever it is. But you got to find, you got to find something that's going to help you overcome it, not make you go deeper into it. And mm. I think the problem with that kick deal and everything else and kick are amazing, but I'm saying, um, see, I've got to be a politician. No, but when the like, money comes in, it can well, be a lot, right? Yeah, it can mm. be a lot because a lot of celebrities that we've seen from Lindsay to Britney to old school celebrities mm -hmm. you know, during my generation, they weren't ready for that level of attention yeah. and fame. Britney Look, Spears is still struggling with it oh now. Gosh, man. yeah, but Fuck. What, what chance does she have? If you don't, and, and look, I've experienced that on a much smaller scale, but my circle as a wealthy 20 something year old kid with all these cars and all this cool stuff, my circle would just tell me, hey, you're amazing. 
even if I was shit, if I, if I did something stupid and, you know, overreacted to someone, Hey, you better give me some fucking respect. Boom. Something like that. Oh, that was so funny. It wasn't funny. It was fucking sad. It's cunty of me to be that person. Mm-hmm. SX taught me that once. And I was so unaware, like a girl was crossing the street and I was like, Oh, look at that stupid bitch with the fucking this, that I didn't mean it. It's what I grew up with. And I didn't give it any thought whatsoever. And it was just to amuse myself and say something and amuse him. He said, bro, that's not funny. Why would you say that? It's years ago, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's not funny. Why the fuck would I say that? It's moments like that, that he needs to have someone around him to tell him that <laughs> if he doesn't see it himself and not, not get tempted by at the end of the day, what is fame and money and everything else worth if you're not happy? What is it worth? Because my definition, Brian, of happiness, and I can say this having been broke, wealthy, this, that, without happiness mm-hmm. is not worth it. And it's always great to have people like that around you, uh, SX there, who would give you the truth. Yeah. And if and you have to know, like, who can I trust to tell me that? And if I am acting like a dickhead, I need someone to pull me up. Absolutely. And in terms of the, the Misfits uh, roster, as well as you're bring, uh, building that up, Jake Paul, yet to be on it, yet to make that fight. And I know a lot of people will want to know why. And I know you kind of had to explain this a little bit, but like, th- there's been a lot of back and forth and this, we're in danger of this becoming the... It's oversaturated, the, the talk about it. Yeah, the it? cliche sort of Pacquiao Mayweather thing where when you finally get it, you're like, yeah. Hey, Pacquiao Mayweather still did the most pay-per-views in history. You're right. But in retrospect, it does not have the legacy meaning fight that it once could have had. Is in like... For me, KSI's thing is legacy. Yes, it is. Uh, that's that's what he's all about. And to get this fight done in time is important as well. Um, what went wrong? You know, some people bring out the best in you. And Jake's manager on a business front brings out the worst in me and I bring out the worst in him and KSI and Jake bring out the worst in each other. <laughs> and Was that, that you taking some accountability? Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. I have to. Because I'm fiercely <clears throat> loyal to JJ. And I will always be loyal to him. You know, like I'm going to try and get him the best deal just as they're going to try and get Jake the best deal. It was never a, he's a, he's a tough guy to negotiate with Jake's manager and not always very fair. And I try to be fair, but when someone, when someone doesn't keep their word and breaks their word with me once, then it's difficult for me to have trust again. But when he does it three times at that point, I'm like, fuck you. What, what, what isn't fair? When when him and I, and, and Jake's manager and I have had some really good conversations where you almost think, oh, I'm speaking to a mate. So it's it's such a fickle, crazy world like that, you know? Um, one minute we're swearing at each other, we're literally saying, I'm like, come on, let's get in the ring then. You know? <laughs> and, we'll be the undercard. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and the, and he's saying, you fucking clown, you want clout on Twitter. I'm like, me, blah, blah. And we're going at it. And five minutes later, we're like, all right, so let's talk business. You know what? Let's have a kebab because we're both Iranian. <laughs> like, let's have a kebab at some point and we'll, we'll be okay. We'll get over it. It's so funny that Jake and JJ both went for Iranian managers. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, watch out with Iranian managers. Yeah, that, well, there's a few exceptions. The, the confusion for the fans is, and this goes for for the big fights in influencer boxing and real boxing. You're like, if you're two big massive names, you carve it down the middle. So that the question is, how can that not be done? We did. Eventually, we got there to a point where we're like, all right, look, 
Let's stop comparing dick sizes here. Let's just do 50-50. You're in agreement that we're going to do way bigger numbers if it's in a stadium in the UK. Yes, I am. All right, me too. Great. So that's decided. Then what? So we booked, we actually booked um, Cardiff. What is it? Them 90,000. Fucking massive. Massive. Yeah. Okay. We booked Cardiff for December 3rd, I think it was. And then we discussed bringing it forward. And he rejected both dates uh, after agreeing. We agreed on everything. The only two points that we didn't agree on. We agreed on weight. We agreed on... Um, the weight was what, sorry? The weight was one, uh, 180 with a 10-pound rehydration. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. JJ is a lot smaller. Honestly, we should have had that with Tommy. Definitely. uh, Yeah, but you know what? The person who put his foot down and said, I don't give a fuck, make this fight happen, JJ. Okay. He said, I don't care. I want this fight. Uh, And I said, it's not going to happen. The Fury said no. uh, To have him fight someone lighter than Tommy's too big, blah, blah, blah. And we were stuck. And I was like, shit. Okay, we'll do it. We'll get get to Tommy in a minute. Right. So... 180 rehydration clause 10 pounds yeah that that was a what was agreed yes i said look nikisa we either do 177 and a half with no rehydration no rehydration 177 and a half or you do 180 with the 10 pound rehydration that's our compromise because i can say we want 175 jj easily fight he could get to 170 yes Jake can say 185. We're just never going to make it happen. So what's a fair compromise for us? And we we agreed on that after a lot of back and forth. We agreed on the venue. We agreed on the date. We agreed on pretty much everything. The only two stumbling blocks were, this one's minor. The minor one was uh, basically who does the undercard. And I said, one of us do the undercard as MVP uh, and one does it as misfits uh, in terms of either we take turns in the fights, but then there was the co-main. So it was like bickering over silly things. But I said, okay, here's a solution. You do the co-main, I'll do the rest of the card, or I'll do the co-main, you do the rest of the card. Either way, it's cool. And so we were getting there. We weren't, we were like, all right, we'll sort something out because he wanted Amanda Serrano on the uh, comment. Of course. And I said, okay, then just give me the rest. So that was close to being sorted, but we both acknowledged that's not a deal breaker. Then he brought in um, this thing about winner takes all. And I spoke to JJ and he said, yeah, let's do it. I said, okay, cool. Problem is winner takes all is JJ's purse, Jake's purse, which will be a massive purse. They put it in the middle and the winner takes all. But Nikisa then said, no, it's got to be all the promotion stuff. I'm like, I've got a fucking deal with Wasserman and DAZN. They're not going to, they're not going to say, Hey, let's put the money in the, they're not, what, what? Production isn't done based on who wins, is it? it, it everyone needs paid regard. Everyone needs yeah. to get paid, recoup the massive money they're going to put into yeah. this. It's not like, so it was unrealistic. And then even after that, he said, okay, we'll just do their, uh, their purses. Me and Nikisa talking personally he said, okay, let's do the Tommy fight and we'll square this away. We'll get it done in December or, uh, uh, or earlier. They said, let's do the Tommy fight because they were about to do they the They did fight. the Tommy fight at that okay. point. We were still negotiating. Okay, like, okay. They did the Tommy fight. I pushed. I said, let's do the JJ fight next. And then he said, I like, Nikisa in fairness said, I like this fight. I think this is what Jake should do next. I think it's a great money fight. It made a lot of sense, yeah. Jake said, no, I don't want to do this fight. And his excuse was, I want to redeem my loss by fighting a bigger name, uh, which let's face it as big a name as Nate is he's not as tough a challenge as JJ would be 
It, it, that fight, yeah, it, it, the event wasn't what I think they hoped it would have become. And yeah. I think part of that's down to Nath just didn't really put his foot down and really give it 100%. He was there to ca- cash the check. Yeah. And uh, I suppose that's, you know, better the devil, you know, they should have done it with JJ, I think, in that, in that regard. Uh, do you think that this can still happen? And do you think after the Tommy fight we will see it regardless of the Tommy result? Or do you think it's still going to be problematic? I hope (laughs) that it does happen. I think fans deserve it. I would love to make it happen. I would love the negotiation to be live streamed. I would love it to be live streamed. Everyone out in the open, say what you want, anything hidden, any bullshit. And not go in there with, oh, let me have these points so I can make you look bad and you can make me look bad. That's why it won't happen Uh if we do that. But if we go in sincerely with an intention of making this fight happen, then I think it should. I think, you know, I said they bring the worst out in each other. I think they also bring the best out in each other. Oh, yeah. Imagine if Jake bought Kingpin and he was like, this is my company now. It would be amazing for Misfits Boxing too. That's what you need. You need competition to drive you even further, to push you to your limit. Kingpin seems to have been run in a crazy way. What was it like for you on as a as a not as a competitor, but as, as someone in the space watching that all unfold the way it did? Because you must have had an idea. Because even I had an idea. I was watching the production that they were putting on, and I know how much production costs. Yeah. And you know how they they're paying a lot of money for fighters like um Gib, for example, who I was so happy for Gib, but you do wonder like what's the pay-per-view? buy rate going to be like to justify all of this it's a tough tough space with the pirating Mm. very tough and even without the pirating when you're overpaying to that degree i think they learn from their mistakes they're really nice guys from my experience and my dealings with them um and they they ran into some unfortunate problems so look you've got to study do you remember Affliction had a had an organized? I remember when they had Fedor. They were buying everybody, yeah. paying everybody lots. History repeats itself. So for me, it's like I said to King Kenny, to Jay Swingler, to Zanetti, to all these guys, to L. I said, you guys, I can't. I even said it to Slim at the time and Salt Puppy as well. I said, you guys, I can't compete with this fee because it's not worth it. You're getting overpaid. So go and get overpaid. Go and do it. God bless you. I I don't want to hold you back and be, you know, like uh, be some controlling guy when you've got an opportunity to make double what I can offer you or, or, you know, even more so in some cases. Go make your money and come back. Ironically, they went and they didn't make that money because half of them didn't seem to even get paid. And the saddest bit from what I've been told is they didn't even get replied to. They, They just got blank as if they didn't even exist and then then you've got that girl who showed her boobs and was told oh you can do that get your boobs out just don't say it was from me and then he sacks her after everyone's in uproar about it so the the reputational damage that's been done by kingpin is horrendous i'll say this without saying too much it's really not all their fault. Mm. I don't want to just be uh, flapping my mouth about. It's not all their fault. There's circumstances and things that happened that that were very, very tough on them as well. And I'm not. I'm sh- look. They've made their mistakes. Everyone made mistakes. <clears throat> but, but yeah, it's it's never it's never just one sided fully. Oh yeah, I'm 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 sure they had it hard. But when you owe people money and you're not even acknowledging their that's existence, cool. yeah, I, I, that's never good. No, 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 and. Uh, yeah, I don't think they should be allowed to promote a show again for that reason to me. Like, if you haven't paid fighters, you're done. 
in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. No, I can't I can't argue with that. I mean, that's the one thing I think that no one can even haters of misfits boxing can say is like everyone gets paid and if if there's a delay on payment it's usually cuz they send the wrong bank account. <laughs> you know? So, moving on to the prime card. This is to me the the graduation of what you've been building. You've been learning a lot. You've had so many crazy moments from that Nazi guy <laughs> and like so like what was that like by the way when, oh my, that was that was what I was saying those two three days for me were <laughs> fucking hell for those who don't know by the way KSI had like opponent pull out you try to put someone in with him turned out he's a fucking lunatic who looked like he'd escaped from prison or whatever um, and yeah we found out he was a bloody Nazi or something um, but yeah now now here's the interesting thing my, my main surprise when we were talking in the WhatsApp group when we were trying to fill the card and say who should fight who. <clears throat> Dylan Dennis. You were unanimous, unanimously outvoted that we shouldn't, you know, we were saying we don't believe he's going to show up, so don't give him the chance. But you spoke to him and you said, look, I've talked to him and I believe he's going to show up. What is it about Dylan that convinced you? I think he has a hunger inside him and he's got, he's got to overcome these demons as well. And I think that's where he's going to do it in the ring. I mean, can I ask you what the hunger is for? Do you remember I was telling you I got in the music business because I wanted to be famous? <laughs> I, I agree. And, and it's not who I am today in any yeah. way, shape or form, but at the same time, maybe he finds himself through this journey. I don't know what his journey is, but at the end of the day, it's been a tough ride. Logan chose, uh, said, I want to, I've had a beef with this guy. Let me fight him. I want to fight him as well. So ultimately it was up to Logan who he decided mm. to fight. But I will give Logan a lot of credit that when I, when we put the options before him about a replacement opponent, he went straight for Mike Perry. Who is a bare knuckle legend at this point. He's yeah. a tough, tough guy. Yeah, it ain't an easy fight that. No. Because we were like, you sure? <laughs> like our response in the group chat was like that. And Logan seemed very confident against him as well, right? Oh yeah. I incredibly. Like there's no doubt. He's like, you you don't know. You don't know. I'm like, bro, are you sure that's a tough, tough guy? So you make the Dylan Dennis fight, despite him pulling out last time, which must have been a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and with ten days to spare, and after everyone told you he was probably gonna pull out, yep. is there not severe worries this time? Or what like what level of contract are we talking about where you're saying you're gonna fine him a hundred grand to, to to make sure that, that happens? Well, here's the thing. I think He's got way more to lose if he does it twice in a row. I don't think anyone will work with him. I don't think any promoter worth a damn will ever, ever work with him if he, if he pulled out. Mm. Um, and as the fight is nearing, I, I really have more confidence than ever before that he's going to fight. I mean, he's built this now. He's the anti-hero guy. He's built this image. He's got this popularity. He's where he wanted to be. And he's loved for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he definitely is. You can't deny that. So if he doesn't show up, he undoes all of that work and is left with a lawsuit and nothing to show for it. And minus 100 grand, potentially. Yes. Yeah. So what did you, and the, and the guys at Misfits and DAZN, these tweets are coming out from Dylan. He's going after Logan's uh, wife-to-be. What What's your thoughts and feelings on all of that? Because you're, you're essentially 
the the guy who's creating the situation, and you probably didn't think he was going to do this. Of course not. Yeah. I had no clue. I w- look at the end of the day, <laughs> as a dad to a daughter, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't condone what he's done. Logan is a good friend, but it's also undeniable that he's gotten a lot of attention f- for it and brought it to the fight. And how do you think he's handling the Dylan situation? Um, when he talks about it to you, is he, I think, I know you've checked in with him, right? I have, Mm. but he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh man, I'm going through a lot of shit with this. It's Mm. terrible. He just stays stoic and strong. Mm. So I don't know, you know, behind closed doors, what's going on, but he certainly seems enthusiastic in our group chats, very friendly and on top of things. He never misses a, you know, opportunity to make a joke and, Mm -hmm. and make a, uh, intelligent suggestion about marketing strategies for prime and this and that. So I don't know to him, to him, he's, uh, to, to us, he's not shown anything. These two, because of the level of hatred that you can see building this event, because of that, it's going to be through the roof. Cause you've got such value there. Eddie Hearn must be so jealous of you right now, because this is going to be one of the biggest events in UK sport history. I think so. You know, we got these Brazilians, we got the Furies bringing in traditional boxing enthusiasts, we got um, MMA community, and yeah. I even saw Cedric Gervais and Tiesto commenting on Dylan. Oh, I'm <laughs> definitely watching this. I don't think they've seen one. Yeah, and because Dylan is a villain in the MMA space, like the MMA guys, a lot of them have disliked him. They want to see him get beat. Yeah, so there's a whole group of people who want to see Logan get beat, Yeah, whole group of people who want to see Dylan get beat, people want to see KSI get people will say Tommy Gappy it's the perfect storm for that reason I wanted to showcase the best of what we have mm. so we might not get a you know you get one chance to make a first impression and I want it to be a good I credit you and you know at first there was a lot of questions about who is this mom's guy and you know and, and what is Misfits becoming but this is a real moment of like like UFC 100 or Wrestlemania I suppose you want to do one of these a year right so it's, it's going to be an epic moment that you can build around and, and look the main event Tommy Fury, KSI, talk to me about the negotiations for that. You'd have thought Tommy being the fighting man would have been easy to negotiate with, was he? I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy, but it was easy in comparison to negotiations with Jake, for example. Wow, okay. Really, really was because... Who were you negotiating with? Was it Big John? Actually, no. Yes, but, uh, Calla, was, Calla was negotiating with Big John. <laughs> and everything went through Big John. Nothing, nothing. Love that. Big John, at least, it wasn't such a back and forth. And um, it wasn't, you know, they said at one point, they're like, look, this is it. Either you take it or leave it. Tommy's not. And they were serious. Like Tommy's not going yeah, below. because Jake was waiting in the wings for his rematch, I guess. Jake didn't want his rematch right away, you know? And that's what we thought he was going to go for, but he didn't want his rematch. Mm. Which then we said, okay, then you've got to fight KSI. Who else is there? No one, and then, exactly. Yeah, that's the narrative of the ducking and the this. Look, and I'll go back to Tommy and, and the prime card in a sec, but I think that Jake, where does he go after he loses to KSI? Let's say hypothetically for people who think Jake will 100% win, I think KSI is going to 100% win. But let's just imagine Jake loses to KSI. What happens? Because that's what he's, that's all he's got. Unless it's a massively close fight, Mm. 
that's that demands a rematch, right? Where does he go from a loss to KSI, this guy who wants to fight Canelo and become the world champion of uh, the WBC and WBO one day? He lost to KSI and he lost to Tommy Fury. Then what? You know, so it's a risky, risky move for him. That's truly what I think has made it sour. But listen, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to be on KSI's side. Maybe that's something I'm missing. But from my perspective, assessing this, I'm like, I get why Jake was hesitant because I thought he would have jumped at it. He was jumping at it when Wasabi backed out. He said, all right, let's do it. He was riding a wave then. And I think, I don't know if the loss has made him think twice or... I don't know. And JJ also, look, as much as JJ was like, bro, let's do this. I said, no. You're, you know, his trainer said, no, not yet. Yeah. It's not two weeks. No, we've been training for Wasabi. We haven't been training for Jake Paul. It was a lot riskier for JJ to fight Jake then. He had a much higher chance of losing at that point. And now yeah, JJ was so green. He yeah. still hadn't had, he's had a lot more fights since then. He's had a lot more training. Sparring. Sparred. <clears throat> My worry for the Tommy Fury fight is the incremental jumps have been um, reasonable. But the jump between Joe Forney and Tommy Fury is, for me, a massive jump. Whereas if you look at Jake Paul's jump from Anderson Silva to Tommy Fury and Tyron Woodley, it doesn't feel to me as big of a jump. And I'd I'd seen Jake in eight rounders and he'd been through it. And I thought, you know what, even if it's not going his way, he's got enough to keep himself in the fight and and see the fight out. Yeah. Whereas with KSI, it's kind of a beautiful unknown moment where I'm like, I I know you can punch. I fucking know you can punch, but I don't know what other than that. There's so, because he's been knocking people out so quickly. We haven't seen him in the, in the trenches and we haven't seen him against like a big guy like Anderson Silva where, you know, you're having to, Took a took in and and make sure you see the round out. So, are you a little bit worried that maybe this has come a little too quick, or no worries? Because we were unable to execute the trajectory of opponents in the way that we initially wanted to. Mm. Um, I think for that reason, he's almost under a lot of pressure to, or I think that the decision was partly because he had to there's a couple of things he wanted jake he really wanted to fight jake when jake's not available what's the best option actually even a better option than fighting jake is to fight the guy who beat jake Mm -hmm. that's how you make a statement um with, with that and i think because he didn't fight uh ufc legends or anything like that i think it's necessary for him to have to make this jump to prove his point because he always says i'm better than jake i'll beat the shit out of jake i believe it his team believes it Mm -hmm. so why not go for it and and it's unfortunate the build couldn't have been a little bit more um strategically kind of um i guess appropriate for you know or, or or more more sensical in terms of the build you know going from this guy who's this level this guy and it is what it is, but he really wanted this fight after Jake said no. And I think if I believe JJ wins this, uh-huh. I really do. And I believed it with Logan. And I'll tell you the level of confidence was he was shooting a music video with Rick Ross and little baby and SX, uh, the day after the fight with Logan and BMG were like, but what if he loses? What do we do? We've spent all this money on the set. We've got all these guys' flights and their entourages and everyone's in LA to do this <clears> video. <throat> what if he loses? And I just said, he's not. He's not losing. Don't worry. He'll be there. 
You know, because I believe in him, because he believes in himself. Yeah. If JJ had a doubt, I'd shit myself. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> but but he doesn't, and I see him, and I'm like, if JJ was to beat Tommy Fury, and I'm not, I I think he beats him eight out of ten times. But if he was to beat him one out of ten times, that one time will be October 14th. It's so funny because I did my face off reaction couple of days ago and I said the one thing I'm 100% sure of is whatever the best version of JJ is he will be there yeah. on that day yeah. because he is the the man in the arena like he's so good at being calm and present in a moment where everyone else is feeling the fucking nerves he shows up yeah and he is a big game player and the, the, and that's why he beat Logan in my opinion because yeah. he had more of that than Logan did at that moment and um, and as much as I think Tommy is a better boxer than KSI is in terms yeah. of technique yeah, yeah. I, Tommy like for all he was like Big John was saying if we don't finish Jake Paul that's a loss for us well you didn't he yeah. didn't even come close to it no. because the nerves, man, they fucking, people don't understand. He went from the curtain jerker at Wembley for his big brother, where no one even gave a fuck, to being in the main event in Saudi Arabia. That atmosphere ain't going to compare to Manchester. And yeah. you really have to have your balls together in that moment, I guess, when you're walking out. You're right. You're right. And I, I, you know, I hope that is the case on that night where that plays a big part. But at the end of the day, he has experienced it on a big stage once before. Second time, will it be the same? Will it be easier? He might, he might be better for it. Yeah. yeah. JJ can't rely on any of those factors. We can hope for them. Mm. But what JJ's preparing for is plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Have you seen him sparring? Yes. And how are you feeling compared to previous versions of JJ? What 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 are you feeling like? If obviously you honor the code of not revealing who he sparred and how things happen, so I I won't go there, but he's put down some boys that he shouldn't be putting down that are tougher than Tommy as boxers. Mm-hmm. And if he shows up as that guy, that I've seen sparring, which he's better on fight night than he is. There's a lot of gym fighters who are amazing at sparring. And, Absolutely. And shit uh, when it comes to under the lights and vice versa. It's funny because Tommy said that. He went, if it was all about sparring, I'd be a world champion. Yeah, well, that's then, true. Maybe, yeah. maybe you're better in the gym, bro. Maybe he yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listen, at the end of the day, I think, I think for us, prime card... Um, it can't get bigger than this. The stakes are so high. He is massively the underdog. Yeah, really, really the underdog. That's the story of the prime card. The other story of the prime card is there's a there's been an absolute hatred built up between <laughs> Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis. Logan wants to wring his neck. Do you think there'll be any handshake afterwards? I can't see it. I can't either. And you know what? Logan is that guy normally. Like He I, does I, check. Yeah, do you remember with JJ? I, I, he told me before the fight, even if I win... Like, I'm going to shake his hand and it'll be all good. Like, I, I, I'm i ready to let this go now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. uh, But I don't see that happening. I, if anything, he, I think this is going to be, I don't even think this is over after the fight, you know. I think it might even just have begun. Like, we might, because the lawsuit and shit. You <laughs> the know? MMA fight, if they have one. Yeah, if they want. Yeah. And what about, would KSI and Jake shake each other's hand after their fight? I think they might. Do you think so? Yeah, because there's respect there. Why Why would you care about beating this guy so badly if you didn't respect them? It wouldn't mean anything. Yeah. They barely respect each other. It gives them both a purpose. I think JJ admitted that um, for, for a long time. He just, he got to a point where he gave up on it. 
you know, and he said, okay, let me do the next best thing yeah. for me. You know, uh, you mentioned what should Jake do? And I've been thinking about this because genuinely, like after that Nate Diaz fight, I, I just felt a little bit like they say in going in the direction that you're, you're talking about right now, you know, you're, you're, you're going the distance with Nate Diaz. Well done. Good result. Who would have thought you'd have beat Nate Diaz years ago? Not yeah, many. No one. Credit to you. But equally, you're not looking like a world champion boxer. And I know that that's going to take time if you want to do that. But personally, if I was Jake, I'd be thinking about MMA. Um, you've shown you can put MMA guys down, learn the rest of it. And, uh, you know, MMA is different. You can you can make your way up the ranks differently than a, than a box. Boxing, it's a lot more down to your skill set. And, just you know, there's so many different dimensions in MMA. If you're great at one thing and you fill in the gaps and the rest, you can you can do stuff. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think Logan would be great at MMA as well. Yes. Uh, he's a great wrestler. Got He's got the base. His strength is, yeah. you know. You could argue Logan might be better at MMA than, than any of these guys. Just in terms of the athlete he is, it's a joke. Yeah. He's an, I mean... WWE, who does that in such a short time? I'll never forget this dude fucking the viral moment where he's like doing that on the turnbuckle and then before you know KSI's ice on the thing getting Oh man. I was so, was so shitting good. it that day. I'm like there in the front. Is he okay? Is he- Had they rehearsed that much or was that the first time they did it or Am I allowed to say? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd assume that they you can say it. Well, didn't want to do it too much because because, you know, it's a bloody risky thing and it hurts. Yeah. But he was okay and we made sure he was okay, thank God. And then he was fighting Fournier a couple of weeks after. Bro, that, I'll never forget that moment where KSI peels the mask off and his eyes are in. It's like the funniest <laughs> shit I've Classic. ever seen. Classic. One of the biggest moments this year has got to have been Conor McGregor calling out KSI. Your eyes must have been ching, 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 ching. You must have been thinking the money's coming in here. Like, what do you make of that whole situation? You know, honestly, again, I swear I'm not, it's not the money. It's more like Conor McGregor, the legacy of Conor McGregor, KSI, and, uh, you know, the potential of that happening, obviously, uh, Prime, UFC, all of that, the relationships. I, I mean, think, yeah, you, you guys are sponsoring the UFC, so... I, I think it's all doable, and I think... The I th- fight is doable. Yeah, and I think I think it's something that would make a lot of sense in terms of legacy. I mean, KSI versus Conor McGregor, massive, massive, massive <laughs> Just fight. even saying that sentence, yeah. you're like, dude, I mean, so many of my videos have been about both of these guys, yeah. and I've, I've, you know, thanks to the both of them, I owe them a fair bit of money, 20%, <laughs> but um, even if Conor hates us, I, I respect that, but that fight would just be the ultimate in terms of clicks, wouldn't it? It would be insane. I think we'll see a lot more of Connor uh, around Misfits and, you know, the, with Uncle Dana's blessing, hopefully everything, you know, uh, we could we could hopefully see that in the future. Yeah, I mean, he is looking like he's coming to the end of his MMA career, but the, the hunger to be in a ring or a combat sports situation is just there with him. It'll probably not leave him. And if he can, with his with his leg not being 100%, it, it probably never will be after that. To do boxing makes sense. And he's already done it before with Mayweather. Why not make extra money, you know, with these YouTube guys? It, I mean, and especially KSI, because the size of KSI and Connor is not that far apart no, at, all. at all. And and let's not forget, like, Connor has hands. Mm. Connor actually, like, when he fought Aldo, didn't everyone, like, do, do you remember how you felt when you saw that? 
It was a, a once-in-a-lifetime moment, mate. That was like, this guy is capable of magic. He called this. First-round knockout. Yeah. Guy never lost in 10 years, and boom, out cold. First punch. It was mental. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it is a shame where he's at right now in terms of, like, I guess, for me, him calling out KSI was a sign of the times as well. Like, is this you? Like you, you, you're normally the guy calling out the world champions, but I, but everyone has has their day, and and I think that that's a way of him to extend his legacy and and fighting and and to keep the show going and to keep himself occupied. Yeah, and it's got to be you know like I think he has fun doing it. He has fun on the microphone, being on stage, mm. and, and all of that. That's what it's about. I mean, um, will will his legacy? I think his legacy will always be there for what it is. But obviously, if it went a different way and uh, he kept that hunger in the UFC and didn't maybe um, stayed more disciplined, that's the tough part with partying and and enjoying the success for a bit too long. It takes away the hunger. And I suppose that's a trap that, that you kind of want to steer KSI away from. And, and weirdly, for as long as I've known him, it's that's never been an issue for him. It, it happened for a very brief period of time. Oh, really? Yes. What was that like? Um, that was that was basically what happened was he went through. Okay, so during lockdown is he's been famous for a long time, right? In the different, uh, he was internet famous, YouTube famous, like all of that. People would recognize him. When we first started, we'd walk out, maybe three people would come up to him over a duration of 30 minutes, like, hey, what's up? Oh, you're KSI, you're KSI, or four people, five people. But it wasn't what it became during lockdown. And he didn't know because he was locked down. And then suddenly that music, the interviews, Jonathan Ross and this and that and the other, all the household name then, right? Household name, the goggle box, all of it. It was, and the ratings were all crazy for all of these shows. They were spiking as soon as KSI was on there. So he suddenly would go out and I remember it happened. We went to watch an England match and everyone like we had you know he had security and everything else but everyone was coming to mob him and after that he's always had security with him since that day it was genuinely we've seen the big dude (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and and steve was with him for a long time before that good old steve but now it's like we took measures because it felt unsafe wherever he went so those days where it was four or five people coming up to him randomly if word gets out people mob him and it got to that state and then suddenly he was in a place where I think he was getting a lot more attention from, you know. Oh, yeah. It took him only a matter of months to say, hey, this isn't me. How did you notice it, though, from the outside? What, was there a moment where you were like, dude, what the fuck? We'd speak about it. We'd uh, talk about it a lot. And he's like, yeah, I want to I experience this. I want to experience that. And I just said, all right, well, look. If this is what you want, if you don't experience what you're itching to experience, then you'll always wonder. We always wonder. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's how you feel, go do it. And then he was like, fuck, bro, I fucked up. I didn't, I don't want to do this. And he didn't fuck up in any major way. He was really honest throughout the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and you know that was. I'm just picturing like ten women and him in a room or something. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you picture it, but yeah. but um, at the end of the day, I was so impressed with that because if that was me, 
I'd be rock starring it for Absolutely. five, ten years, yeah. fifteen years. I might not come back. You know, now I would. Now I'm grounded. But at that age, with with the circumstances being what they were, I was like, fucking hell, that's a strong guy to be able to see that and say, hey, this doesn't make me happy. This is an illusion. This is what makes me happy. And now I know that. Isn't it funny, right? How we see the the ego version of him when he's on camera and he's like, Tommy Fury! And it's fucking hilarious, right? Love it. But, but people, people will react to that on Twitter and be like, this guy. You know what I mean? And the real truth of the matter is, is like, if every one of those people out there were given all of the things that he has been given in life, would you be able to keep yourself as grounded off camera as what he does? It's it's challenging, like a hundred percent. He's done a better job of it than I would have done for real. Like, oh, me, seriously, I, mean, I think I'd be dead. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know he, um, yeah. If you're if you're in a room with him at, at some elegant party or something like that, an awards ceremony, that guy is an introvert. A hundred percent. He's an introverted guy. It's not easy unless you know him to make conversation with him in those circumstances mm. because he's not that comfortable going out and being around loads of people. He likes to be around his yeah. familiar circumstances. There's a switch that he flicks, I feel like, where he becomes KSI. KSI. Yeah. yeah. And there's like JJ, who's the low, low, like more low-key chill, like really chill guy. Super chill. Yeah, complete opposite version of that. That brings us to the final question, I guess, is... um how would you like to be remembered? You know, I used to really think that was important. I used to think it was so important, but I don't think it's important as long as my daughter thinks of me as someone who was very present and influential and did everything mm. good to love her. To a small circle of people, I'll be remembered in fleeting moments. Oh, yeah, he's a nice guy. Oh, yeah, do you remember when he did this? What a wanker. Oh, but, you know. <laughs> but guess what? I won't be around to see it or hear it yeah. or read the yeah. tweets. So, <laughs> And I really appreciate the chat, mate. This has been fantastic. We've definitely got some gold out of you today. So thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Ah, nice one. Uh, don't forget, you can check out the Prime card on DAZN, uh, which will be coming up uh, in October. What's the date again? October 14th. There we go. Prime card, baby. Yeah, we'll be checking that out. Big love to moms and everyone at Misfits and peace. Peace.